This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Hey guys, thanks for joining us this week. Welcome back to Jay Bennett, my good buddy, rock and roll, scribe, musician, all around great guy. This week we're uh, doing a uh, playlist. Uh, we both are quite fond of old school heavy metal, so Jay and I decided to run down our playlist. So be sure to check it out over on Spotify, and uh, this episode we're just going to be talking about sick music that we both like. Thanks to everyone for who joined the Patreon. If you're interested in checking out the uh, Patreon and supporting Everything Went Black, head over to Patreon and look us up. There's $1 and $5 levels, and they each have their associated bonuses. All right, so we tried to set up some parameters around this thing. Uh, you know, we were not going to talk about certain obvious bands like Zeppelin and Sabbath because, let's face it, if you like heavy metal or extreme music in general, they have to be at the top of your lists for two of the formative bands, you know, but right. we kind of failed because conspicuously we did not address the Van Halen topic. So I don't know. Right, right. Well, we, you know, I, you and I uh, on a different podcast have spent, you know, uh, probably if you add it up all the time, it might come close to like four hours. I mean, not not that went on on the podcast, but like you know, stuff even including stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, probably four hours of Van Halen conversation, just you and I. So I feel we've I feel like we've got a lot of that out of our system, maybe a little bit. Yeah, and I urge any of you guys out there, even though it is uh, not part of everything went black, to go and seek out the Metal Matters episodes where Jay and I talked about Van Halen in depth. So uh, so we left them off. We left off Zeppelin. We left off uh, Sabbath. We did not include Iron Maiden because that's also kind of, um, you know, like an obvious, uh, you know, spot on everyone's list, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I had an Iron Maiden song on my list until you told me that we're leaving off Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think you can develop a whole episode about Iron Maiden, you know, going back and forth between Paul Diano and Bruce Dickinson and which are the best records and why and all that kind of stuff too, so. Absolutely, yeah. Just on, as an aside, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, wh who, who do you actually prefer? Uh, well, I mean, I love both guys. I, I, I would have loved to have, okay, so Paul Diano stuff, there's some amazing Paul Diano songs and I, I, I'm kind of one of these people that would have loved to have seen Iron Maiden do like at least one or two more records with Paul Diano. But I realized, you know, what happened with the band happened at the time that it did and you can't turn back the clock, but um, they've obviously done some great stuff with um, Bruce Dickinson. But my, but my two favorite, I mean, probably my two favorite Iron Maiden songs are Running Free, which is a Diano song, and Wasted Years, which is a Dickinson song. So, um, you know, uh, I can go either way on that one. Um, I just, it would have been cool to just take at least one more record with Maiden just to see where it would have gone. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I hear you, you man. Know. 
I I um I, I prefer Deano and frankly yeah. when I listen to Iron Maiden it's either you know the Killers record or the self titled. Yeah. However, I do really enjoy Bruce Dickinson. I believe um, I, I like the earlier part of his catalog of the catalog featuring him on vocals, and there yeah. are spots here and there throughout their catalog with that you know he's performed on that I that I really like and live that guy is unstoppable though he's like yeah probably my one of my favorite live vocalists yeah he's incredible what to do what he does uh you know and and in those outfits as well <laughs> the last time i saw maiden play at um in brooklyn at the barclay center he was wearing a pair of like like army pants and a hooded black sweatshirt Wow, yeah. it's like he's in tombs or something. <laughs> it was like a totally, I'd never seen him like dressed like that before. And I was like, damn. And he was like running all over the stage and it was crazy. Yeah, man, he, his cardio is on point. Yeah. Another band we left <laughs> off is uh, is Kiss, okay? And there's a little yeah. bit of a story there. I think, uh, you know, so what, what are your thoughts on Kiss? I love Kiss. Uh, I am, I, I'm also fully aware that there are a lot of, people who do not like kiss yeah. uh and uh you know it's funny uh, i had a great conversation with our mutual friend aaron turner the other day and he talked about how he had seen photos of kiss like in circus mag or something uh you know before he ever heard the music and he's you know gene simmons with the blood pouring out of his mouth and all this stuff um and he was like oh man like i i, I these guys have to be like insane i have to check this out right but the problem was at the time aaron saw those photos he had already heard metallica right. and was on that path all that path of metallica and heading towards slayer you know so when he actually heard kiss he was like oh this is kiss this is like this is weak compared to what i'm into now um so i think the you know it makes me wonder like what i would have thought of kiss if i had heard them out of order in that way like, you know what I mean? Not only chronologically, but like in terms of heaviness, you know, um, I love kiss, but I heard kiss way before. I, I mean, I've been listening to kiss for years before I ever heard Metallica. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. Um, but it's still, I also, I probably listen to both bands equally today, you know, it's for kiss and Metallica. You know, I would be a liar if I were to, put them on this list of bands that you know formative bands for me in the world of heavy metal because as a young kid I didn't like Kiss actually yeah you know what I mean I um you know I the makeup and stuff was cool you know I was like you know way into horror and all this macabre stuff even as like a 10 year old I mean I've told the story before about how my mom and dad took me to see the exorcist in the drive-in when I was like a very very young kid yeah so my mom loved horror films you know, I grew up watching Hammer horror films and, you know, the Universal stuff with Frankenstein and Dracula and the Mummy and all that. And, you know, I was way into it. So I, I, want, I wanted to like them. And they had a comic book and all these toys and everything. And um, But I just, the music never really grabbed me, you know what I mean? I was just kind of like, yeah, this, this is not like what I, I was into Sabbath and Zeppelin and, you know, ACDC. And it just didn't hold up to that kind of stuff, I thought. And uh, but it yeah. wasn't until way later on, I would say probably in the 90s or so, you know, that I started just realizing like they're just like a great rock and roll band, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They yeah. write catchy songs 
and they have this like uh, appeal that isn't necessarily about the heavy riffs, though. They do have some songs that have some crushing riffs, like War Machine. We were talking about that before the episode. Started. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I and I was okay. So I I guess I'm I, I maybe uh, as far as the assignment goes, it's like the formative ones. I think I I probably should have included Kiss as opposed to some of the like. There's like two tracks on my list that I I, I can't actually say. I mean, I love them, but I can't actually say they were like formative to me. Uh, there are things I came to later, but so I would say Kiss should definitely be on my list then in that case, um, because, uh, uh, you know, I've been listening to Kiss probably since I was seven years old. And there's, you know, there's a couple of songs on my list that I definitely did not hear until, you know, my 20s. So if, if you were to pick a track from early Kiss, what would it be that, that really got you going early? I mean, I I really love um I mean, there's so many songs in the first strutter. I love black diamond with P- Peter Chris singing black diamonds. Uh, uh, awesome. I love black diamond. So that's like the first and last track on the first record. Um, I mean, it's just so many, man. Uh, War machine, which we mentioned is a great track. Uh, um, and going, going blind, uh, which, you know, uh, Melvin's the Melvin's covered, um, going blinds on hotter than hell. And, uh, it is unique. Uh, as far as I know in the kiss catalog in that uh, it is the only like downer track they have, you know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, which is pretty cool. And it's like a weird subject, you know, uh, like a this sort of like romance between someone, a, a guy in his nineties and like a teenager, which is a little <laughs> creepy, but <laughs> like, but like, but like it's gone beyond creepy into like bizarre, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, Damn, higher than hell. I would probably uh, "Parasite." It's a pretty great song off that record. "Parasite's a great track. That's an Ace song. Yeah, that's an Ace Freely composition, I believe. And, uh, and uh, yeah, for me, I like I quite, I quite like uh, "Shock Me," also featuring yep. uh, Ace. You know. Yep, that's an Ace jam too. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love "Shock Me," man. Um, I, I think I mean, I'm, a, I think I'm an Ace guy, honestly. Oh, me too. Oh, absolutely, man. He, uh, his, his um. His song Snowblind, not to be confused with Sabbath Snowblind, uh-huh. but Ace's song Snowblind, which is on his, um, it's like when they did the four solo records, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. with their faces. Yes, yeah, so that's on his, it's, that's on Ace's solo record, which, by the way, is far and away the best of the four. Like the Ace record is like way up here, and the other three are like, the the, the st- Paul Stanley has like maybe a couple tracks, Gene has maybe a couple tracks, the Peter Chris album is borderline unlistenable um but uh the ace record is great man it's great i'll have to agree with you on that and actually uh you might i don't know the answer to this and you might because of uh you know your the depth of your knowledge based on your um you know you, you write for a living doing rock journalism music music stuff uh now each one of those solo records do any of the other members of kiss appear on those records Man, that is a good question. Uh, I don't know. I I know. I, I'm I'm almost positive that nobody, none of them appeared on Ace's record because that was like the height of his estrangement from them, as far as like when he was still in Kiss. Right. Uh, that was like the height of his estrangement. So there's no. There, I, I'm I'm I would bet money there's no one else from Kiss is on Ace's record. Uh, I mean, it seems like Paul and Gene would probably appear on each other's records but i don't know man maybe they decided to go full solo i, can't, I don't know off the top of my head is the truth but uh 
there's no way any of them are on a, on Ace's record. There's no way. Yeah, he was he was on the outs of those guys, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a precursor to what he ended up doing with his solo stuff, like Freely's Comet and all that. Like, the, I like I like a lot yeah. of Freely's Comet stuff too. Yeah, man. I mean, Ace, I think Ace is a great uh, is a great songwriter. I mean, so are Paul and Gene, and um, you know, I don't. Peter Chris is not uh, uh, didn't write many songs, as far as I know. Possibly, if you listen to Gene, he wrote none. So there you go. <laughs> I talked to Gene Simmons recently, and he went on a tirade about how Peter Chris has never written a song, and Peter Chris does not play a musical instrument, according to Gene Simmons. Besides uh, drums, or drums, not even drums. Drums are not a musical instrument, according to Gene Simmons. They are a percussion instrument. Interesting take on that. I would uh, probably tend to disagree with that. He got quite animated about it, Mike. Huh. I'll tell you. He got quite. It was very entertaining. Well, you know what's funny about those old rock, rock and roll guys versus maybe like the newer. I'm not. I, you know. I mean, compared to him, I'm I'm new at this. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. I feel like the drummer oftentimes in a lot of modern bands is probably the best musician in the bands. Like a lot of times, you know what I mean? If you think about some of the really successful bands. Especially, you know, maybe in extreme music or, you know, the drummer is really, if you, if you go behind the scenes there are a lot of bands, I think the drummer is like the center point of the whole thing in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, the thing, I mean, I know you've heard, this is like a common saying, but like, if you know, if your drummer sucks, like your band sucks. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the truth. That's the truth. I mean, you have to have a good drummer. Um, uh, you know, I don't think that necessarily makes him the best one in the band, but I mean, I tell you what, man, I, I, I don't have that thing, uh, that, that, that level of, um, coordination, I don't think to, I mean, I never tried to like really in earnest learn the drums, but like when I've sat down at like various drum kits just to fuck around, it does not, it doesn't feel even sort of natural, you know? Oh, totally, man. And I guess that's, that's one of the, one of the secondary points is that, yeah, I feel like anyone can learn guitar or bass or, you know, sing or, or I mean, singing is such like a subjective thing, but right. a, a drummer, you have to have almost this like birth, like born ability, like natural ability to do that kind of thing. And um, I think that just lends itself to being, you know, giving like a, uh, an affinity to being a fine musician in a lot of ways. Because most drummers, I mean, you, I mean, you probably know, like a lot of, a lot of these guys that play drums also are great guitar players and, you know, do all kinds of stuff, you know what I mean? Can sing, you know, that kind of, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I have a, fr a good friend of mine is an amazing drummer. He also can play guitar, bass. He has perfect pitch. Um, he's like, you know, quite a, um, uh, Kevin Shirtliff is one of these guys too. Kevin Shirtliff from Scissor Fight uh, is, I mean, when I met him, not only is he a great drummer, I mean, I think he was making his living giving guitar lessons. Um, uh, I saw him like sing, I saw him playing like these like sort of old school blues bands down in Porter Square where he would like sing backups. Um, he's just a talented guy, you know. What one of the bands that you and I both land on though is uh, Aerosmith, and uh, you know, yes. I, I suspected yeah. that since you're a uh, native New Englander. I know that there's a lot of uh, New England pride when it comes to Aerosmith. Yeah, man, I'm a mass hole. Yeah, and so are those guys. Although I think some of those guys are originally, I think Steven Tyler's maybe originally from New Hampshire. Maybe a couple of those. Guys. Joe Perry is definitely from Boston. Um, I, I, fun fact, I 
I lived at the corner of uh, Com- Commonwealth and Brighton Avenue in Alston. I know you know the the uh, uh, the the the, cor- the corner there. I do. Uh, which it, it I believe that is. I wa- I walked to the house one day just to see it. It's like four blocks. I want to say five, maybe, from the house that Aerosmith lived in when they wrote their first song, which it was Mamakin, their first original song. Um, uh, it was written apparently in the basement of this house on Calm Ave that was like, you know, five blocks from where I was living. Um, cool little piece of Boston history there. Also goes hand in hand with that uh, that district of Boston known as Alston, you know, which. Uh, yeah. Historically, I guess even back to the 70s or early 70s is a, uh, a den of iniquity. Uh, for rock and rollers and people who uh, want to become rock and rollers because even when you and I both lived there in Boston That was where all the band everyone in the bands everyone that played music lived in Austin and they had these houses and yeah There's basements and you know, you could rehearse in the basement if you if you lived in a house like that It was it was kind of uh, a fun place to live for a while Yeah, and the sound museum was out there too. So um, if you didn't have a basement you could go um Go rent a room over there. Yeah, I was in a. I I lived in a house for a little while, and it was funny. Like that that would have yeah. been a house that like a lot of people would probably try to stay in, you know. But the uh, the the scene was so heavy there, and the people were like of a kind of sketchy nature that we were uh, we were asked to leave. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so yeah, we used to have band practice in the basement, and then uh, which is like great. We had a driveway. We parked the van. You know, band practice in the basement. They have to rent the space. We had like multiple bands practicing down there, and then uh, we had to move out after a year. And uh, and then I went into the you know into the hell of uh, renting re- rehearsal spaces. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah, everyone's favorite. So I I, I would venture to say that Aerosmith is. From in the seventies, at least, probably the greatest American rock band, because like a lot of the a lot of the bands that were finding success were uh, were from were from England or from Europe. Yeah, man. I mean, I think it was probably Aerosmith and Kiss. Yeah. I mean, you know, we already mentioned them, but yeah, they were the top two, I think, for um, for the states. I would imagine. Um, yeah, man. Uh, so many great tracks from the seventies. Uh, and we both we both have our picks here, our top picks yeah. for um, Aerosmith. Um, both from this, yours is from '77, mine's from '76, which is kind of like prime time for them. Um, you want to do? You want to? Shall we do yours first? Yeah, sure. And also, if you're listening to this, I urge everyone to go to the show notes on the website and uh, or or find it on on Spotify. Because, uh, you know, anyone who's been listening for a while knows that we put together these playlists for each episode. And Jay and I have uh, collaborated on a Heavy Metal Thunder playlist. So uh, you'll find that either in the show notes, there's a link. Or if you follow the show on, on Spotify, you'll be able to find it there. So, uh, so that's uh, this fun little episode, of little playlist episode that we're going to do. So uh, my, uh, my Aerosmith pick is the song Draw the Line, which... Uh, Came out on the the record titled "Draw the Line" from 1977, and um, yeah, that song is just like one of those back of the bus songs. Uh, it's I remember uh, when I was a young kid, um, 
there you know all the all the cool like dudes like hung out in the back of the bus you know and uh there's this one guy that was, i remember him vividly blonde hair long attempt attempt uh, early attempts at a mustache you know that kind of peach fuzz like like mustache <laughs> you get when you're like 15 um yeah yeah you know, or maybe he was 16 or 17 he might have been like a senior and i was a freshman on the way home from school and he had a boom box now for you youngsters out there back in the old days we have these <laughs> these radio systems with uh, a cassette deck and like an am fm radio and then eventually that would turn into a cd player when cd technology came right. around but this this guy had a cassette uh and it was the draw the line album in its entirety uh and you know we have a bus ride and draw the line was playing and i was thinking about how completely different the band sounded than some of the other music i was listening to which is you know sabbath and Aeros and uh sabbath and led zeppelin and i think that yeah aerosmith has a totally different thing going on than those europeans man and you know everyone was stealing from the blues back then but there was like a a very uh unique take on injecting blues into heavy rock and that I draw the line has always has always been like like one of my favorite songs by them. Yeah, it's a great it's a great track. That whole record has got some um good ones. I love Draw the Line as well. Kings and Queens is another good one. Yeah. On there kind of a slower one for them, but it's just I don't know, I just kind of always love that song. Um Yeah, man, there was and it's crazy to think like how <clears throat> Aerosmith I mean, in, in a lot of ways, you know, you you wouldn't have um, I mean, I don't think you would have Motley Crue, at least not in the form that they came out without Aerosmith. I don't think certainly not like Cinderella um, or these kind of bands that like poison that ruled the Sunset Strip, um, you know, for so long, like in the in the 80s. I think they all clearly owe a massive debt. Great White, uh, they owe a massive debt to aerosmith i don't think that stuff would exist um without them you know i'll leave guns and roses man guns and roses really it's like guns, yeah guns and roses yeah 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 know, dual yeah, guitars exactly, yeah i think know, they, the stones and aerosmith yeah. really is what and it's they, all about for them yeah no exactly man i think guns and roses even covered mamakin at one point is that is that right yeah. it seems it seems like I seem to remember that yeah i, I want to say that there's a um, version of that on the live like a fucking suicide record is that what it is? Okay, I so, yeah. yeah. I, I know I've heard it somewhere. Yeah, I know I've heard it somewhere. Um, yeah, Mama, yeah, great song. Draw the Line, excellent choice. Uh, great track. Um, yeah, my uh, so my choice uh, is Nobody's Fault, um, which is on the Rocks album from the previous year, 76, which is another great uh, Aerosmith record. has... Uh, bunch of hits on it as well um i think nobody's fault uh and why i think it's especially appropriate for a you know a discussion about like a metal playlist or something i think it's the the heaviest aerosmith song i think i'm going to go on the record and say that that i feel it is the, the heaviest one yeah man it's a fucking ripper man that's a great song yeah i have a question for yeah. you regarding aerosmith uh yeah, I, I do not favor their uh, later period. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of a safe, no. a safe uh, statement. 
But where do you think, yeah. where would you say the division was with that band? Well, I mean, I think it's what it comes down to is, well, I mean, it's tough to say. I, 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 for me, it's maybe a little later. I like some of the stuff on like per, uh, Permanent Vacation, for instance, sure. um, which was a eighty, which was an eighties record. Um, but I mean, the the stuff they had done previously was not that great. Like Done with Mirrors was not a good record. That was a, that was a, um, I think that was a seventies one. Um, I'm trying to pull up the chronology here so I can um, of the Aerosmith albums. So we can uh, see the order here, because um, they had a couple of duds in the seventies, like the permanent winter, uh, permanent winter, permanent, permanent winter. Uh, vaca- <laughs> from permanent vacation, Freudian slip there, I guess. Um, uh, where, where is it? Okay, permanent vacation is eighty-seven. Okay, so done with mirrors is eighty-five. Not a good record. Rock in a Hard Place is 82. I, Joe Perry isn't even on that record. That features uh, uh, Jimmy Crespo. <laughs> yes, Jimmy Crespo. Uh, <laughs> so I think, and then you have uh, Night. So Night in the Ruts, which was like the last one with the band, with like the the band from the 70s, was 79. Um, I mean, it's got a couple of songs. There's a couple of good songs in there. The, the one that people probably know the, the most is like their cover of uh, the Shangri-La's cover, uh, Walking in the Sand. Remember yes. Walking in the Sand? Um, uh, and that photo on the cover of Night in the Ruts, I believe, was taken in what had previously been um, the Batcave. I, I think that's. I really? think that might be right for, I, from this from the '60s TV show. I, I, I could, yeah, I could be wrong about that, but wow. I think that's true. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to find some information about that. So I I don't know. That could be totally. I could have just made that up, but um, I think it might be true. You know, Don't Wear Mirrors actually I think has a couple good tracks on it, like the song uh, "My Fist Your Face." I thought was pretty cool. And um, that is a good song. Okay, you're right. That no, is no, it's by, by overall, it's not a stellar record. And then there's the 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 original. Originally, it was a Joe Perry project cover. The uh, Let the Music Do the Talking. Right, right, and then he did his solo thing, and he did that took took that song with him, and I yeah. think that was even the name of the album that his first right. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, but the rest of the record's yeah. kind of uh, forgettable, you know. Very, yeah, but I mean, the thing is, they kind of at least they were honest, right? I mean, they tell you what's going on right in the album title, um, you know, done yeah. done with mirrors, doing, doing a lot of <laughs> a lot of powder powders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think somewhere, um, you know, I still look at that one as like a pretty legit record. But, uh, you know, Permanent Vacation, I, I, I own that and I remember enjoying it and, you know, spending time yeah. with it. But I think it starts to slip maybe after that record. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I, I think, you know, for guys who are, you know, I, I hang out with guy, one guy in particular who's you know, a little bit older than us. And I think he would probably say he's not a permanent vacation fan. He probably would, his cutoff would probably become way, probably night in the ruts. I would imagine would be his cutoff. Um, you know, that's just a different generational thing. I think, uh, which I get, you know what I mean? Yeah, actually there's, there's another generational thing that goes on with, um, with Metallica, uh, load that record. <laughs> a couple a couple episodes yeah, ago, yeah, I can't, yeah. Uh, <laughs> a couple episodes ago, I did um, 
we did like a kind of um, me and Drew, my uh, my bassist, we did an episode about Load because you know that's one of those records. I, I I hated it when it came out, and Drew being from a you know a little different generation than me, uh, that was like how we got into Metallica, I believe. If you know, and uh, yeah, it's just like different points of view on stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, you know what? If that's his record that he got into Metallica and he went back and checked it out, I think that you know that's that's yeah. great. I'm with you though. I didn't, you know, I didn't like the record. But then again, you know, the, the same guy I'm talking about who probably his his you know cutoff would be Night in the Ruts. I mean, he he'll tell you stories about how um, people were cranky when um, Ride the Lightning came out. They didn't like that one because you know they they went soft with Fade to Black or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like a different, which, which is like, I, I I can see it, but it's like hard to get my mind around as being my age. You're like, oh, people were complaining about that record. I'm like what? You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Totally right. <laughs> um, but you know he'll be like, hey, yeah, man. He's like, yep. A lot of people were fucking bummed out. That's yeah, funny. There's, there, there's 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 dudes out there who only like kill them all. So there you go. <laughs> That's fucking far out, man. You know and. I, like around yeah. that time, like I, you know, I, I couldn't even, were, I, it was hard to even find those records. So I, I would grab whatever I could from that era, man, and just be like, all right, this is my record. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I came in on Justice for All, um, which I know is a controversial record sonically, um, but that's the one I came in on. And so in a lot of ways, it's, it's my favorite. And I'm aware of it's like, you know, sort of lack of bass and all that stuff. Um, and what's crazy is like I I generally I typically do not like overly long songs and that album is packed with them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, totally. It's a progressive but, uh, progressive metal uh, record. I lo I love that record, man. Yeah, I spent so much time with it, um, like mowing lawns and ha just having that in my Walkman for like probably two summers in a row. Uh, I just know it so well and I love it. That's like so it. it because that's the one I, much like your you know your, your the guy you talked to that, that load is the one he came in on he loves that one um i came in on justice for all and so it's 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 my favorite and i'm aware that uh that is not a popular opinion <laughs> you know i'm with you on that though that's that's that is my favorite even though i came in earlier on metallica that's my favorite one because it just it just had such a, a unique thing man you know like their image the artwork, the long songs, the dryness of the of the production, and just it sounded like a fucking yeah. serious, like just stoic, intense record. You know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. know they were like wearing all black on the band photos, and I don't know they just they just looked like serious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. And that that one video, which is like the first video they ever did, so like was kind of my first time seeing them like visually. Also, was like intense man yeah you know with all that footage from johnny got your gun like that uh, it, the whole that whole scenario was just um it, it blew my 12 year old mind that yeah, was fucking heavy, <laughs> heavy man it was a very heavy heavy atmosphere on that thing all right man so let's yeah. run down uh you know we got our aerosmith picks and then uh these are no particular order yep. people we're not saying that these are the best songs or anything these are just some fucking tracks we dig man and uh you know right. stuff that we got into that um is meaningful to us and uh you know it's the time of year man you know the the segue between the years the turning over of the calendar for me personally i get very introspective and sometimes i look back you know and think about the years and all that and i always go back to listening to old music and 
lately I've been reading stuff that I read when I was a kid and I don't know, just uh, that's why we're doing this. So, yeah, you want me to, uh, I kind of spend a lot of time listening. What? No, what were you going to say, man? I don't want to cut you off. Oh no, I, I was going to say, I, I end up kind of listening to a lot of this stuff uh, at all times of the year. This is just kind of my preferred, uh, you know, music like seventies and eighties, um, heavy metal and hard rock is just kind of, um, I don't know. I just, enjoy, I kind of enjoy it. It, it to me, it, it gets the most sort of repeat listenings. It holds, it holds up the best for me. Like it's weird to think about that, like bands like ACDC or Van Halen or kiss that I, you know, that I liked Def Leppard or, you know, these bands that I like when I was like seven years old are still some of my favorite bands now. You know what I mean? It just hasn't, nothing has, um, like, like buzz from the Melvins, uh, has said to me on numerous occasions. Um, my record collection has only gotten bigger because I've gotten older, (laughs) you know, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because, um, I, I always go back to like a lot of this early stuff too. You know what I mean? And, the, the really it, it ages well and the mus- yeah. the musicianship and just the songwriting ability of of these guys uh is it stands out like it stands the test of time and i'm gonna i have i've had this conversation with many people you know it's um you know the 90s have are far enough in the past now that there's a, a fair bit of nostalgia you know i mean you see like you know all these reunions and all these bands that you know had one record out that you know people were really excited about in the 90s or getting back together and doing like these big reunions and everything and i have to say with the exception of maybe a small very small handful most of those records don't hold up man that i listened to in the 90s that i was all about some bands i thought were great i couldn't couldn't stop listening to certain records and i feel like in general a lot of that kind of hardcore 90s stuff didn't really doesn't really hold up you know over the years or it's a lot of this old rock music and old heavy metal it just is age it's just timeless you know what i mean i completely agree yeah it's it's weird like i i uh, i listen to like almost zero hardcore these days and it's been that way for years it just doesn't that whole thing doesn't appeal to me anymore i used to be so into it for that especially in the 90s um and now it just I, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. But these records, um, they still do, you know. With that said, let's uh, let's jump into our uh, our playlist here. All right, so uh, let's proceed, see. sir. I have uh, "Delivering the Goods" by Judas Priest off of the uh, yeah. Hellbent for, for Leather record, aka Killing Machine, which came out in right. ni- nineteen seventy eight. And, um, yeah, I, um, it's funny because I, I had started listening to priest with, uh, with point of entry, you know? And, um, yeah. And I wasn't really into that record too much. You know, I thought heading on, heading, heading on through the highway was a cool song, but it didn't, uh, it never really got me moving. Yeah. And then, um, I went to, I think I went to this mall. I forgot the name of the record store, but it was like a record store chain. And I, I was going through the Judas Priest section, and there was like the hell the uh, Hellbent for Leather cassette, and I was like, man, this this got a far out like cover on it, the guy with the glasses, yeah, 
this kind of weird trippy looking pale face with a weird glasses and everything i'm like let me check this out man let me um take this home i'll take another chance you know everyone uh you know was telling me how great this band was you know a lot of the older guys were like yeah judas priest man they're awesome so i bought this record and delivering the goods man it fucking delivers the goods and that's all i gotta say yeah about it does <laughs> yeah i mean that I, I agree that's the opening uh the opening track um you know, we were just talking about Metallica earlier. I, I know that I've seen footage of them like warming up before a show maybe a few years ago. And they were um, they were jamming this. This was like their warm up, like right before a show. They played Delivering the Goods. I thought that was cool. Um, but that whole record, man, I love um, Evening Star off that record. Yeah, man. And um, they they do a great um, uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac cover, uh, Green Manalishi with the yep. two pronged crown, which is great. Um yeah, man, uh, it's hard to it's it, seven, 70s and early 80s priest is pretty untouchable, you know, um, I mean, there's always going to be songs you like better than others. But as a general statement, you can't really go wrong, you know? Yeah, man, the Sin After Sin record, uh, another one of my favorites from that era. And just um, they, yeah. they had this like very cool, like guitar tone on those records like it was. Yep. It was like a, a quintessential 70s like Marshall sound. It wasn't super overdriven like yeah, like in the 80s, you know, with uh like Painkiller and um, you know, uh Hellbent for Leather and all that. I'm sorry, um uh, Screaming for Vengeance. They got more into that yeah. modern more modern sound that was typical in the 80s like the production changed, but just the records they made in the 70s just had this like killer like I I always call it like a British guitar sound, you know, with that overdrive yeah, yeah. Like, you know the fucking cranked up marshall just sounded killer you know yeah no i mean uh, two of my favorite early priest tracks uh i love starbreaker off the sin after sin album and um i mean the title track off rockerola is just unstoppable yeah um i love that song and it's got that tone that that tone that you're talking about for sure it's funny i i, I always i know it's like a it's like a crowd pleaser you know it's like uh Probably people who don't even like rock music like this song, but the "Living After Midnight" song, I always that yeah. song that song always gets my toe tapping, man. Yeah, man, it's awesome. I remember being it's a kid, awesome. being a kid and listening to that song and being like, man, I, I want to live after midnight. You know what I mean? I don't want to go. Yeah. To, I don't want to go oh. to bed. <laughs> <laughs> man, I tell you what, that record, British Steel, that that's on. Uh, it also has "Breaking the Law" and and and. Um, so many uh great tracks uh united and i mean I, to me that's like one of the first records i got where i liked every song yeah british british steel you know what i mean i because you know you have that experience i mean even now you know yeah you, you, you know you get records and you're like okay i like this song i like that song and i, I was you know it's like that when you're a kid too but th but that was like i remember that british steel being like i like every song on this record um and i still do man it's fucking great so what do you got uh, my first choice is uh, ACDC, Touch Too Much, from the Highway to Hell album, 1979. Um, now, you know, I mean, look, this is like one of the greatest records ever made by humans, if you ask me. Sure. Um, and it's got and it's got one of their, you know, and Highway to Hell is obviously like one of their biggest songs. Um, uh, but for me... Um, I mean, I love Highway to Hell. It's great, but it's just you hear it so often that you almost kind of don't appreciate it, maybe, or I don't as much as I probably should. Um, 
but uh touch too much which is the fourth track uh i just think it's a it is like the toughest coolest song uh on highway to hell and one of the, one of the it's, it, I, it might be my favorite acdc song bon scott's on vocal still um uh i don't know man i just it, it, it's on as you mentioned earlier the, the the link to the playlist is on there you just got to listen to it there's nothing that i'm gonna say that is gonna do this song any justice <laughs> <laughs> you, you just gotta go and listen to it and you'll know what i'm talking about you know though i love brian johnson i love back in black uh, i'm a bon scott fan like through and through. me too absolutely 100 percent, 100 percent. i got nothing against brian johnson but if i gotta choose i'm going bon scott he just embodies rock and roll too you know like you just look yeah. at that guy and you know yeah, like, man, he's fucking cool yeah the only thing he can do is sing in a, in a rock and roll band really you know yeah that, that yeah. or like and maybe d- rob drink whiskey drink whiskey <laughs> sing in a rock and roll band or just like do crimes or something like that for a living, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, he, he, he could go get sushi and not pay. <laughs> I, I love Highway <laughs> to Hell too, man. And, um, you know, that that really, the even the, the title track, Highway to Hell, whenever, whenever I hear that, it just it just gets the fucking hair on the back of my neck standing up, man. You know? It's, all, it's, an, it's an ingenious song. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so for me... I have Lights Out by UFO, and that's uh, on the record Lights Out uh, from uh, 1977. Yeah, I'm so glad you chose this. Yeah. I'm so glad you chose this one. This is also one of my favorites, and if you had not chosen it, I would have chosen it. Uh, excellent choice, sir. Great they, track. They got some great tracks. They have. Um, it's kind of funny. Uh, Michael Shanker, the, birdie, the, uh, the, the, the brother of Rudolph Shanker of the Scorpions, who appeared only yeah. on the first Scorpions record, left the band to join UFO because they were a more successful band at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Although he did come, he came back for one, he came back and played on one record, uh, another Scorpion, an eighties record on the Scorpions. Um, yes. I forget which one it was, but yeah, he, he did come back at one point in the, in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, what a killer. Um, I remember that story too. I, uh, you know, because Michael Schenker was younger by a few years. He was like a teenager. And um, so he's in Scorpions, there, you know, as like a 15-year-old. They get their first tour opening, I believe, for for UFO over in the, the UK. Uh, I think I think they – well, maybe the tour was in Europe. I don't know. But it was like anyways, a very early tour for the Scorpions. Rudolph, the older brother, is like basically put in charge of his little brother. Like his mom says, all right, he can – Michael can go. <laughs> But you, you're responsible for him. It's a chaperone. And so, of course, what happens? Yeah, yeah. And and and, and so, and what what happens? Rudolph comes back without his brother, and has to explain to his mom. Has to explain to his mom that oh yeah, he joined the, the band that we went on tour with. That's funny, man. Uh, I got that's that's uh, that's really funny, man. You know, it's it. He Michael Shanker always always struck me as kind of like a a, a wild a wild man in some ways, you know. You know, you ever, yeah, he always has like uh, no man, shirt like, on I, and, you know, the blonde hair and the no shirt, you know, and all that kind of stuff. He is, a, um, I, 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 I talked to him, I interviewed him maybe two years ago and he is fascinating. He, he claims he has not listened to any new music, uh, <laughs> since some point in the, um, since some point in like the mid seventies, he just stopped listening to new music and he claims that that is, um, 
the that is like the able to be so creative is because he doesn't have any he, has, he literally has no outside influences coming in because he just stopped listening to to new music which is just, it's crazy that's but, a, that's what, and i don't even know if that's true but that's what he says that's a <laughs> that's a debatable point man honestly but uh I'm yeah, gonna, no, I'm gonna I mean, use yeah, that. Yeah, but that's, you know. The next time you interview me for something, I'm going to say the same thing, man. That yeah. I stopped listening to music uh, from the mid '70s. Like I, I didn't listen to anything yeah. after the mid '70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's great, you know. <laughs> Reg- regarding UFO and this particular record, um, when I was, I think, twelve or thirteen years old, I uh, I bought this cassette, you know, and I had my little boombox. And uh, during the summer, my family would visit, you know, me and my parents would go and visit some family we had out on Long Island. And me and my dad would go out to the beach and uh, we would take the ferry out to Fire Island, which is like a pretty wild place. You know, it's uh, it's known as like um, a haven for uh, free thinkers and people who are very free. Sure. You know, sexually. You know what I mean? And sure. um so, yeah. you know, we're, I'm laying on the beach. I got my boombox with me. I'm, like, you know, listening to UFO uh, lights out. And I noticed, like, <laughs> this um, older guy and this uh, younger woman who, pro- to me, she seemed, like, you know, old. But she was probably, like, 28 or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. right. And this guy right. was, like, to me, seemed older. But he was probably, like, 45 or something, you know, which, you know, isn't that old. So they come up. They set up all their, their, their gear for you know, doing the, the sun sunbathing type of trip that they were on, you know. And I noticed the lady had this, like, long flowing, like, kimono on. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, she's heavily tanned. So how, how is she going to get the, the tan, the, the sunlight? How is it going to reach her, her skin with that kimono on, right? Well, I found out. She took off her kimono right, and yeah. she was virtually naked under there. She just had, like, uh, like these briefs on. And completely topless. Now, at age 12, I had never seen a naked woman in person at that point. So that was the first (laughs) virtually naked woman that I've ever seen in my life while listening to the Lights Out record by UFO. So that's that's a pretty memorable story. Now we know why it's on the list. (laughs) That's why it's on the list. Yeah. Uh, my number two is uh, Am I Evil by Diamond Head. Um, and I think probably like most people in our general age bracket, um, I, I became familiar with Diamond Head through Metallica's covers of their songs. Um, this was on the album Lightning to the Nations, which came out in 1980. That album, I believe, has seven songs on it. Metallica covered four of them. Uh, including this one. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it originally came out as the B side of the creeping death 12 inch. I think that was its original appearance. Um, as far as Metallica's covers. Um, so I heard Metallica's version first before I heard the original. And of course, here am I evil? It's just crazy. Like it, the, the, the most I mean, it's right and evil. Um, I had to go back and check out Diamond Head. And uh, 
I immediately became, they became one of my favorite bands, like almost instantly uh, once I delved into that record, Lightning to the Nations. And they're still one of my favorite bands. In fact, I'm reading, a friend of mine lent me her copy of uh, Brian Tatler, the guitar player from Diamond Head. Uh, she lent me the copy. I'm reading it right now. I mean, uh, I just am learning a lot about Diamond Head. Um, but uh, you know, except Metallica appreciated them right away, um, uh, and kind of them. I mean, people know about Diamond, especially in this country, because of Metallica. You know, I kind of feel like Lars Ulrich might have been the guy who brought like a lot of European bands to the consciousness of people. You know, I think that like those early thrash bands, you know, like the new wave of British heavy metal and all that kind of stuff. I think the fact that Lars was really into those bands and Metallica kind of, and even Slayer for that matter, um, kind of brought that over and made it popular in the United States in some ways. Oh yeah. So, uh, it, talks about it in his book uh, i mean i think it's a pretty well-known story um lars ulrich like fresh out of high school uh or maybe he's still in high school i don't know he goes over to england uh shows up uh, turns up at a diamond head gig uh he's like you know goes works you know in what you can imagine is the, the beginning of typical lars fashion <laughs> talks his way backstage uh you know he says oh, you guys are my favorite band Ends up staying at Brian Tatler's mom's house for like two weeks, going to more gigs, more Diamond Head gigs, um, buying New Wave of British Heavy Metal singles. Flies back home. He, he stays in touch with Brian Tatler. They become like pen pals. And a year or something or less, maybe. Uh, and uh, they're on their way. And, you know, within that few years of metallica they i mean the diamond heads first record has seven songs i think i should know seven and they cover it like more than half the record four songs it's crazy that, that is pretty you know? crazy yeah so that the next up is uh is me uh so i have uh dark lady by the scorpions and that's off of uh in trance uh the 1977 record by them and uh, there's a live version of this too which is also on the on the tokyo tapes they're uh, obviously yeah. their live album. Yeah. Now this one is interesting because uh, Yuli Roth actually sings this song. Yeah. Yeah. A very unique voice. Yeah. Ex yeah. Chorus though, right? The in trance part. No, no. Dark Lady, man. He's like the the lead vocal on Dark Lady. Oh, Dark Lady. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. The album's in trance. Sorry, I got lost. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, that's cool. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Uli sings that one for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's some good. I don't know if you just saw, but like last week, uh, there somebody on uh, unearthed some like previously lost uh scorpions footage from I don't know if it was German TV or so, European TV appearance, basically. Uh, and they do this song with with Uli singing it. Um, oh wow, uh. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't remember where it was from, but someone just, just like found this. Uh, uh, yeah, like a week or two ago, put it on YouTube. And, oh, yeah, I, look, um, I look for it then. 
Yeah, I'll send you a link to it uh, when we're when we're off the thing. It's um, it's quite good, quite good. I I really like this era of the bands. Uh, I I think Yuli Roth is like uh, almost an unsung guitar hero in some ways. You know. Oh yeah, man. Uh, I I I love so many songs from this era. Um, Sales of Sharon is a great song. Um, Steam Rock Fever, Robot Man, Backstage Queen. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're much like uh, Kiss or, or Aerosmith. There's like some dis- there's distinct Scorpions have distinct eras. There's like the, the 70s era and then there's the 80s Scorpions, which was a totally different thing. Yeah. Much like Priest. And then with. Yeah. And then, you know, Aerosmith did a similar turn like in the 80s too, into the 90s. Um, but you see, so you have these distinct eras of the band um, only in the case of uh, Scorpions, you know, the, there was also a member change with Uli, um, you know, leaving the band. Um, yeah, that, so um, that was that it, was kind of part of it. Yeah, it's Matthias Yab Yab. Yes. Yab. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He replaced him. Yeah, and he's a fine player too, man. But just a different different flavor, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think Uli is very much from the Jimi Hendrix school. Uh, is the impression that I get, you know. It is definitely in his solos, and he only, he only had that strat. But on the same, you know, on a different sort of like flavor of that thing, he there also is like this very like European, like classical kind of thing going on at that era of the band too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, man. Uh. All right, number three. Okay, so this is one of the songs that, like, I guess I misunderstood the assignment a little bit. I love this song, uh, Sabotage, Hall of the Mountain King, from the album Hall of the Mountain King, 1987. I would be lying if I said this was, like, a sort of a formative track for me. I definitely didn't hear this song until I was in my late teens or early, probably early 20s, I guess. Um, uh, But I I still love it, and I think it's worth talking about here. Um, The... So this song for me, like, so obviously heavy metal, certainly in the 80s, there was a lot of swords and sorcery type themes going yeah. around, you know. Uh, and to me, I, I thought a lot of that stuff was kind of goofy. Uh, and a lot of the, the bands that were doing it, like the songs were kind of wimpy like the, the you know what i mean that the, the the sort of wizard uh, or swords and sorcery songs were um to me they seemed wimpy uh hall of the mountain king by sabotage is like was the first song where i like heard that type of vibe and it was like a tough song like that's a tough song like john oliva's vocal performance is like tough man i mean it, it, it's impressive but it's also like he sounds like I don't know, man. There's something like, um, I just keep coming back to that word. It's tough, man. It's a fucking tough song, and I really like it. Um, Sabotage is a lot of great songs, but I mean, this is obviously kind of one of their big, like, you know, hits, I guess. Um, but that's what stood out to me that, that, you know, even when you hear, you'd hear stuff like Manowar, who, who I, I guess, you know, sort of aspire to be tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, I, it, I don't know. It's like, I like, and don't get me wrong. I like some Man of War stuff. I also recognize that, you know, that there's a huge um, unintentional humor aspect going on with them. Um, but even I, I, I mean, to me, this song is what 
man of war kind of aspires to be in a lot of ways and and um sabotage do it better that's my opinion i'm gonna be completely frank i i'm not that familiar with sabotage yeah i mean they they ha uh they have plenty of not great stuff that they did um but this particular record is great uh there's an ep called sirens which I think was a couple years before. I'm going to look this up right now, so I don't uh, spread we don't want to misinformation. Miss, miss like anybody out there. Yeah, let's let's look it up. I, let's see. All right, sabotage. <clears throat> the discography. Okay, yeah. So, okay, it's their very first release, Sirens from 1983. Um. Uh. Okay, I, I was under the impression it was an EP. It's not. It's a full album. Uh, highly recommend Sirens. Um, those are my two favorites, actually. Sirens from 83 and Hall of the Mountain King from 87. There's two albums in between um, that have some cool stuff. But to me, my, my choice, my opinion, um, Sirens and Hall of the Mountain King are your starting points if you want to check out Sabotage. Um, I know somebody in Europe within the last couple of years bootlegged some early demos of Sabotage, which I assume is Sirens material which is supposedly killer. I have not checked it out yet, but I've heard from reliable sources that it's quite good. Um, so I would like to hear that at some point. But um, yeah, man, sabotage. There you go. I will get on that because like I said, man, I'm not overly, I'm not familiar at all, really. I have like, I've heard, obviously I've heard them, but I don't, I probably heard the material that wasn't so great. So I have to check these out for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's, a, I mean, I'm not, um, I can't claim to be familiar with the entire catalog, at least, certainly not the later stuff. Um, I do remember thinking that a couple of things they did right after Hall of the Mountain King that I tried to get into, I was not, I was not feeling. Um, but yeah, I would say Hall of the Mountain King and Sirens uh, will leave you in good shape. Yeah. I imagine at this point, someone's, someone's turning this off and saying I'm a poser for not being familiar with Sabotage. <laughs> That's, uh, you know what? That's fine. That's it, fine. You know, what? Hey, my, it, it's, uh, you know, you, you can't always get no satisfaction. Who said that? Mick Jagger? <laughs> I don't know. Some English guy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, my, my, uh, my next track is a different type of tough. Okay. You went. Yes. You, know, you use that, yes. that term. It's Dragon Attack by Queen featuring yeah. the, the legendary... Freddie Mercury and uh, the yes. game that came out in yeah. 1980 and uh, Freddie Mercury is one of the best singers in rock and roll in my opinion absolutely no question about it um, yeah and they had a little bit of a different image I remember on this album cover with the leather jackets yeah it was a, a, a big change man because I remember um, like I, I hadn't really like I remember I was very young at the time and um my older cousin had like uh, some of the early Queen records, and um, yeah, you know, they, they look like a typical like '70s rock band, you know, kind of flamboyant, you know. But uh, when uh, the game came out, Freddie Mercury had like the short hair, the leather jacket, you know, the the aviator shades, the mustache, and uh, maybe like a little uncomfortable because I was like, it was so new, <laughs> and I wasn't ready to embrace that sort of freedom because I um, I think around that time I'd seen Cruising 
the movie with Al Pacino. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I know. You think it's funny that, you know, like a young kid like me watching these films. But like I said, my parents would turn me on to stuff like this. And uh, and I was like, man, Freddie Mercury looks like one of those dudes that is into those uh, SM, uh, you know, West Side, uh, you know, sort of trips like in the city. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that that's cool. You know, it's it's cool to uh, be an individual. And I, I think that. I'm going to say that Queen is one of those bands that kind of uh, opened me up to like tolerating, you know, being tolerant and accepting of people of different sort of, you know, you know, whatever people wanted to. Because I was just like, Freddie's different from me, you know, uh, a young suburban, yeah. suburban white dude, you know, and um, and I'm like, yeah, this guy kicks ass and he's like being himself. And I thought that was awesome, especially, you know, that was kind of a move. I thought when the game came out for them to just be like, Freddie's fucking full on, man, you know? And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was cool. Totally. This whole record is great. This is actually my favorite Queen record. It's a great record, man. I mean, I think, you know, another one bites the dust is like, you know, a big hit of theirs, but it's also like uh, sort of an irresistible. Of course, it was written by John D the bass player i mean that bass line is like you know world famous at this point yeah um but it's like one of those things that like you know i remember when i started fooling around with bass that was like one it's because it's you know it's simple to play but it's also so infectious you know it's like something you can you want to play on bass like right away you know i'm gonna I wanna play another one bites dust you know it's so cool and also in the 1980 was like i feel like they were embracing almost this r&b sort of vibe that fit in with like the rise of Prince and all that kind of stuff too, you know? Yeah. And that, yeah. I think, uh, wait, let me, yes, that is the year they did the flash Gordon soundtrack as well. Yeah. Um, wow. Which, um, yeah, I, I haven't, I have not probably seen that movie, um, since the eighties, honestly, I can't, um, it's been a while. But um, Queen, man, one of the all-time greats, and uh, Dragon Attack. Also, just before uh, we move on, I want to give some choice, shouts, sir. some props to uh, to Brian May, like a, a very, very awesome, interesting oh, yeah. guitarist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had. I mean, not only is he he's an incredible player, he had like some unique. I believe that guitar he built with his dad when he was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and he also plays with a, he plays with not a pick, but with a British coin that is no longer in circulation. Um, yeah, weird, <laughs> but so cool, man. I mean, it's, I mean, that's, I mean, oh, you know, those things alone will not give you a talent. You give, but there's something about the character of his playing that has to, that, that has to, that, you know, uh, those two things have to be involved in somehow, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, all right, so what are we at? My, so we're going to do my number four here. Okay, so uh, Motorhead, Killed by Death. Uh, you know, I, I think like a lot of people, I think almost everyone at this point, the first Motorhead song you usually end up hearing is Ace of Spades. That was certainly the case for me. Um, it's a great song. I, still love it it'll always be cool but ace of spades if i'm being honest did not make me say i want to hear more motor 
Motorhead. Uh, Killed by Death made me want to hear more Motorhead. Like, that's what got me into Motorhead way more seriously. Um, and what I did not realize until much later, because I, so I heard, I first heard this on, there was a compilation called No Remorse. It was a compilation of Motorhead songs. Um, and I did not realize, I think initially I probably didn't even realize that that was a compilation. I thought it was maybe because it was like a double album. I was like, wow, there's a lot of songs on here or something. But I also didn't realize that, that, that Killed by Death all, is also not on any studio album of Motorheads. It's just released as a single. Yep, that's right. There's a 7-inch, a 12-inch. Um, uh, and uh, I, 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 I have since tracked down both the 7-inch and the 12-inch. The 12-inch is really cool. It's like it, the, the sleeve unfolds. It's like this really cool poster. Um, uh, but, uh, man, what a fucking song you know and 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 what i love about it is just so like um killed by death right i mean ultimately that's what <laughs> that's what gets us all right yeah <laughs> that's a great track man i saw the video for it on a headbangers ball back in the day and uh you know he's riding a harley he's got some chick yeah. on the you know he's yeah. like coming out of the grave or you know into hell or something like that that was awesome and uh a little, little fun fact that um, we actually, uh, Tombs, recorded a cover of this song that's going to be uh, surfacing as a B-side to a forthcoming single. Oh, that rules, Mike. That's a, I, I, that makes me very happy. That's killer. Yeah, it's, um, uh, our, our bass player. I all, yeah, and, and, yeah, and the vid- Our bass player, Drew, does uh, lead vocals on it. Oh, cool! All right, all right. You know, Drew wow, is uh, choice. What, what a great track, man! And yeah, I, he's quite a quite an accomplished singer. So, um, you know, he he's a an excellent vocalist in his own right. So he's, uh, it, you know, he if if any of you guys out there know Drew Murphy, it makes sense that he would sing the you know the, the Motorhead song because he's kind of like the you know Lemmy is like kind of his like spiritual uh, you know guru. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Lemmy plays that role to a lot of people, um, as as he should. I mean, you could do a lot worse for spiritual gurus. I think, especially these days. Um, yeah, and I remember that video. I, I yeah, that I I remember the video. Thank you for mentioning that. That's that's probably how I couldn't say for sure, but that's probably how I heard the song first. I don't think they were playing "Killed by Death" on the radio. No, at least not where I was living in, you know, uh, a backwater Massachusetts. So uh, I'm almost positive that's how I first heard it too. It was uh, on that video on, on Headbangers Ball. Yeah, yeah. So next up for me is a record that you and I have discussed. It's, this is a track off of that record that went back in the Metal Matters days, and it's uh, "High and Dry" by Def Leppard. Off of the High and Dry 1981 LP. You see, I don't, you know, it's funny. I just noticed this, that a lot of the tracks that I'm uh, picking are the title tracks on a lot of these records. <laughs> or a couple of them are, at least. Yeah. Lights Out, yeah. you know, High and Dry. And um, Def Leppard is one of those bands that I read about in Cream magazine. And um, Cream would oftentimes yeah. kind of slam heavy metal. Uh, they they very rarely gave good good press to any of these metal bands, and I think there's two two bands that the bad press that they got in Cream 
prompted me to buy the albums. And that's Def Leppard was one of them and Iron Maiden was the other. <laughs> and, you know, this, <laughs> isn't that funny? You know, <laughs> it's like. Yeah, and what's even funnier is that later, I mean, one's pretty early, for the, but later, like by the, by the mid to late, uh, by the, I mean, I think Cream was gone by the late 80s, but by the mid 80s, Cream was putting out special metal issues. So they, they changed their stance on that at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, because metal was starting to become big in the mid, you know, in the early to mid eighties. You know, yeah. Uh, but high and dry, like, yeah. One, I, I've always thought that this is like a, a little bit more technical British ACDC, and that's this record. It's got that Mutt Lang like vibe all over it. You know what I mean? And and um, yeah, high and dry is like uh, I'm not. I'm. I've never been much of a partier in my lifetime, but uh, it makes me want to party this song. Yeah, I mean it really does. Uh, the, the whole that, the whole record is phenomenal. I love High and Dry. I mean we've talked about it as you mentioned before, but yeah, this song in particular, yeah, High and Dry Saturday Night. Um, yeah, man, um, what a great track, Mutt Lang. Um, I mean you can't, man, it's, it's, you can't really go wrong with um, some of this early Def Leppard stuff, you know. And this is um, a definite highlight for sure, you know. Um, all right, my number five, and this is another one. This is, this is in the same category as Sabotage in that this was not a formed, I would be lying. This is not a formative track for me. I didn't hear this till much later. Um, Tank doing a song called Turn Your Head Around from their debut, uh, Filth Hounds of Hades, which came out in 1982. Um, if you are at all, I'll do a little self-promotional plug here, but not really because I want to promote myself, but because I want to promote this album. Um, I did I did a, um, a Hall of Fame article on Filth Hounds of Hades for Decibel Magazine. And if you are at all interested in Tank or that record, you should check it out. I learned a lot uh, about the making of that record, and there's some very funny stories that went into that. Um, but uh, the entire record rules, uh, it was Tank's debut. It was produced by Fast Eddie Clark of Motorhead. Um, there's funny stories about that. Um, now the founder of tank, Algie Ward, a guy's name is Algie Ward. Uh, he also has the distinction of playing on the best saints record and the best damned record. In my opinion, um, he played on, um, from the Australian punk band, the saints, they had put out a record in 1978 called eternally yours. Algie Ward plays bass on that. And then my favorite damned record is machine gun etiquette came out in 79 and he plays bass on that. So this guy has like a serious, this guy had a serious pedigree before he even started his own band. Um, and Tank, man, I mean, uh, this record is also one of those records, uh, like we were talking about like British Steel, there's not a bad song on Phil Hounds of Hades, I don't think. It's a tough, killer, uh, just if you like most, they, they, they were kind of like saddled with, partly because Fast Eddie Clark produced a record and partly because of just their sound, they were kind of saddled with this like Motorhead Junior thing. I think Motorhead also took them on their first couple of tours. Tank opened for them. Um, if you like that vibe, if you like Motorhead, you'll you'll like Tank. But they are, I think they are a little bit different. Um, there's plenty of similarities, but I think there's plenty of differences too. And um, I can't recommend uh, that album, Phil Fonseca. And then Turn Your Head Head Around just happens to be my favorite track, but. Uh, 
there's so many great ones on that record. Are you familiar with that record at yeah, all? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, I mean, I, I found out about them because I knew, you know, Fast Eddie uh, produced it. You know what I mean? I, I didn't yeah. come to them until a little bit later on, though. I mean, um, like Motorhead, there, there used to be a record store in my hometown that called The Book and Record Store. That's okay. that was literally the name of the the shop, and they had yeah, books super and, creative, yeah, yeah, books and records they had there. <laughs> now all all of the formative shit that I listened to and read, I bought there, like all the Conan books and you know H.P. Lovecraft and you know the Ramones records, uh, you know Sabbath, Zeppelin, all that stuff, and the Motorhead section. I was always kind of like. Man, I don't know. Should I listen to this band? Like, if I will, it make me a bad person if I listen to Motorhead. You know, they look like <laughs> these kind of miscreants. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I, I love Motorhead, but it, it was when I started listening to punk music is when I really started vibing on Motorhead. And then later on, Tank. When I started reading about Motorhead and the sort of peripheral bands, that's when I discovered Tank. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It's a great one. All right, so next up for me is uh, this is like really one of the only records I really know by this band. And um, the band is Crocus. The record is yeah. one, vice, one Vice at a Time from 1982. And the song is Bad, yeah. Bad Boys Rag Dolls. And uh, yeah, I only know this one record by them. I know they have a ton of albums out. I just like, I, I have this on cassette. Um, it was one of those records that I, you know, it was cassettes, in this case, cassette that I bought at the book and record store. And uh, I don't know why I gravitated to this uh, particular cassette. Um, but it, I can tell you how I acquired this, though. There was uh, this uh, young lady that I knew that worked there. And um, you know, me and one of my friends uh, went in there one afternoon. And she was like, today's my last day at work. and uh, And she's like, if there's anything that you want, just take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she opened up, you know, the, the tape. There's like the tape display that had like a lock on it. Right. So she opened that up. Yeah. And because uh, those were easy to steal. And I grabbed a few things. And uh, I think I got like a Transformer by Lou Reed. <laughs> and yeah. I grabbed, yeah. I yeah. grabbed this Crocus uh, cassette because I, once again, I, re I saw the name mentioned in Cream. And that probably in that same issue yeah. that slammed all those other records. And I was like, let me try this out, man. So like, I, I grabbed One Vice at a Time. Um, I grabbed that Lou Reed record. Uh, you know, this is all cassettes. You know what I mean? And a couple other things. Yeah. And I definitely listen to Crocus a lot more than I listen to Lou Reed. So, yeah. And that, I think it's just a great record. Uh, I have, so one of my favorite, I, I have two favorite Crocus songs, but my favorite one is also on this record uh one of them long stick goes boom yep. which is the uh which is the opening track uh my other favorite uh crocus song is called burning bones um now these crocus was like famously slagged for being like the swiss acdc which is pretty um accurate <laughs> oh yeah for sure um, yeah definitely you know uh uh but I would, I mean, my argument is always like Long Sticko's Boom and, and Burning Bones. I mean, Burning Bones is like practically an ACDC song and Long Sticko's Boom too. They're like, kind of like the best songs that ACDC never wrote. Um, and uh, but you could say the same of, of Bad Boys, Ragdolls. Um, but uh, yeah, man, the Swiss ACDC. And, they, and uh, 
they also did i i'm looking i pulled up the thing i remember that so they also did a cover of american woman on that record which i I haven't heard in a while. I don't remember that being great, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, I To be fair, I haven't listened. But the other thing I noticed on that record, One Vice at a Time, Bruce Dickinson, which I did not know this, does backing vocals on the track I'm on the Run. Now, this record came out in March of 82. Oh, wow. Now, let's find out when Number of the Beast he, came out. He might have still been in Samson at that time. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, that is what I'm thinking, but let's let's find out. Oh wow, man! March of 1982, crazy. But the Crocus record came out first, so I guess he might he might have technically been in Maiden by the time he um, he tracked those vocals. But um, and I believe there's another Crocus album, uh, Headhunter. I believe is the record. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna pull it up. Where I know Rob Halford does oh, wow. uh, backing vocals. Yeah, let, let me just make sure I'm not fucking totally crazy on that. Headhunter was 83. Uh, and yes, Halford does backing vocals on the track Ready to Burn. You know what, man? Maybe um, I should I should check yeah. some of this other stuff. I know they have another record called Metal Rendezvous or something like that. And uh, That one's not great. Okay. Uh, right. I'll, I'll be honest. That one's not great. But uh, Headhunter, which is the – Headhunter has some tracks uh, from 83. And then I forget which uh, – Man, which I can't even remember which record the Burning Bones is on, but that is such a killer Crocus track. Um, let's see what that's on. Oh yeah, that's on Hardware. Okay. Yeah, and that one's got some good. Oh wait a minute, but that's all. Oh wait, no, that is. Oh okay, no, I'm confused. Metal Hardware is just a name for Metal Rendezvous when it came out in the states, so I'm wrong. That's not the one I was thinking. I was thinking of a different record, a Crocus record. Um, that's not that great, but yeah, metal rendezvous is cool. It's called hardware here in the States. And, um, uh, yeah, man, burning bones. You know, it's funny, man. Like I, that, that one record shop I was telling you about the book and record store, you know, they, they would get what I, at the time I had no idea what I was looking at. You know what I mean? Like I was a kid. It's going to, yeah. I didn't re I didn't know anything, what imports were or anything like that. But they were also getting imports because when you said that Metal Rendezvous had another record in the States, the version of that record that was in the record store was the Metal Rendezvous version. Yeah. And I know yeah, that imports, there were some other yeah. things which I was able to identify. Like they would have it marked as like import. And I didn't know what the hell that meant back then. You know what I mean? But I was like, oh, that's interesting, man. Yeah, except it, yeah, it cost like 50% more. Yeah, it was more expensive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, we we had just had that. We, yeah, we were just talking about Judas Priest earlier. The uh, Hellbent for Leather album was called Killing Machine in the UK. Um, I remember a few years ago, I kind of, I found a, 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 an Amoeba. I found a copy, a, a British copy that said Killing Machine. I was like, well, I already have this record, but I got to have... Now I gotta have this one because it says "Killing Machine" on it, even though it's the same record. <laughs> oh yeah, totally, man. Yep. Um. All right, my next next one is "Cold Sweat" by Thin Lizzy. Uh, I should preface this by saying that Thin Lizzy, Thin Lizzy might be my favorite band of all time. Um, but this particular record, which was this is a this was from the record "Thunder and Lightning," which came out in '83, which was their last record. And 
it's by far their most metal record. Like Thin Lizzy's pretty as a head as a hard rock band, you know. I mean, they started off as not even they just started off as kind of like a rock band, not even that rockin' really. Then they became a hard rock band, and then by Thunder and Lightning, this is like a metal record, pretty much. Um, and a big part of that, I think, was a guy named John Sykes came in to play second guitar. They had been Thin Lizzy had been through a series of second guitar players. Many guys filled the role. Brian Robertson, Gary Moore, Snowy White had filled that role over the years. John Sykes comes in. He had been in the new wave of British heavy metal band Tigers of Pantang, which is another Lars Ulrich favorite. Um, uh, he came in. They make this super heavy Thin Lizzy record. Cold Sweat is a single. It's great. It's a great track. Tough is, I keep using that word, it's a tough song. Thin Lizzy had a lot of tough songs. Um, Thin Lizzy breaks up. John Sykes goes on to join White Snake and uh that's when and then and then and then similarly white snake pulled a similar maneuver where they became went from being like a easy sort of hard band into like a hair metal band with their ninth their record their self-titled record in 87 that all the hits that everyone knows with tawny katane like you know um rolling around in the jaguars and in the, in the videos and stuff um uh and that record has a lot of songs like that 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 White Snake had originally done in the 70s with like keyboard, like organs on them, like like you know organs and like bluesier, and they totally changed it and met and like metalized these songs for the 80s with John Sykes on guitar. Um, so he's like he's kind of known for that, like coming into bands and like turning them into metal bands, which <laughs> I think is pretty cool. <laughs> Those uh those early White Snake records are actually pretty awesome, man. Like uh, you know, slide it in. Uh, what is it? There's like a live album that they did called like Live in the Heart of the City or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, uh, it's like yeah. like very much like this kind of. Well, it wasn't. Wait, wasn't John Lord in that band for a while from Deep Purple? Yeah, there was a lot of deep. At one point, White Snake had like three or four former deep purple members including david coverdale yeah yeah he was um, in purple yeah it was like uh yeah, the, the ex yeah. bt purple guys that was the start of that yeah. yeah yeah it was funny i think at one point most of the band was ex deep purple guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's that version of the band is uh was pretty awesome it's like like you know it's like 70s style like very bluesy but i i still like that that the white snake self-titled record quite a bit man i think that's a pretty pretty sick record actually it's great. And my, fa my favorite like story about that whole thing. So the, the Here I Go Again, which is a massive hit in 87. The original Whitesnake, the, the sort of bluesier hard rock Whitesnake, they recorded that song, a t much uh, uh, different sort of sound to it. Um, and there's, they even made a video for it in the this, in this 70s. Or that record might have, this, the record that was on might have come out in 80, 1980. Um, but so there's a line in the song and in 87, it goes like a drifter. I was born to walk alone. Yeah. The original lyric is like a hobo. I was born to, to walk alone. That's how it is on the, the original record from 1980, I believe. Now, fast forward to 87 when they metalize it and David Coverdale decides that hobo sounds too much like homo. 
<laughs> so he changed. This is true. I'm not making this up. <laughs> That's fucking uh, great. And he changes the line to drifter. Yeah, that's true for the for the for the homophobic, uh, you know, um, you know, AIDS panic 80s. Uh, Carverdale changed the lyric. So there you go. <laughs> well, as uh, just, you know, strictly writing, I think drifter is a way cooler word, you know. It is. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, for that reason alone, I don't blame him for changing it. But it was just funny what the actual reason was. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, even that song, you know, it's it's like it's got some cool like guitar stuff in there, man. And I mean, David Coverdale, one of the top ten, you know, hard rock heavy metal vocalists of all time, in my opinion. He's great, man. I tell you what, he is one of the funniest, most entertaining interviews. Like, if you ever get a chance to like have him on your like, do not turn it down. Like, he is fantastic to talk to. He is super hilarious. Very quick, witty, funny. Uh, he's great, man. I highly recommend a conversation with David Coverdale. Yeah, man. Hopefully someday. You know, I'd love to. I'd love to because I'm yeah. a fan. I'm a fan of his work in Deep Purple too. Me too, man. I think the, I think he's a super talented guy, um, and he is. Yeah, what a what a. Uh, I'm a big I'm a, I'm a big fan of him personally now too. I just think he's a funny dude. So uh, we're, we're down to the last uh, song on my on my list list here. So we got uh, "Midnight in Tokyo" by Y and T off of the Mean Streak record yeah. from 1983. Yeah, and uh, this band yeah. for sure was uh, a band I'd heard Alt Lars Ulrich mention in an interview that I heard one night. And um, back where you know when I was growing up, there was um, I live in this small town called Carmel, New York. It's right on the Connecticut border. Just you know, it's Westchester, not Westchester, but Putnam County. And there would be a Western, Western Connecticut had a college radio station. Um, and they would play, it was called WXCI. And they had, a, this is where I found out about almost everything back then. They had a, a metal called the Metal Shop. You know, it was like Friday night, like 11 o'clock or whatever. Yeah. You know, and I was, you know, I was, not, I didn't do anything when I was a kid, man. On a Friday night, I was home by myself, you know, my room listening to this stuff. And Lars, there was like a taped interview with Lars Ulrich that they played. They played sections of it. They would play some songs, and they play a section of his interview. And they play some more songs, and he was talking about all these bands, and he mentioned Y and T. And then yeah. I was watching uh, Night Flight, which used to be on the USA Channel, and they had a live yep. performance of, by Y and T of this song, Midnight in Tokyo. And I was like, "Fucking what a great song, man!" So down to the book and record store <laughs> they had a cassette of this yep. record and um and i was so this is my by far my favorite y&t song and over the years i've really grown to appreciate the lyrics man it's like i don't know man some of the coolest well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna recite some of the lyrics jay i have to okay all right all right yeah. from afar i have come because you called to me a guitar was the sound that you heard like a song on a wave from across the sea like a vaguely familiar word. The ring of fire won't discourage me. Midnight in Tokyo. Fucking heavy duty shit. Yeah. Man. You know, it's like yeah. it's like some fucking yeah. F. Scott Fitzgerald shit right there, man. You know? <laughs> but um Yeah. Yeah, yeah I a lot of these bands had big careers in Japan. You know, so I um Yes. Yeah. Know, before coming to the States, I mean Quiet Riot had like a whole career in, in Japan basically. 
you know, totally before yeah. Randy, Randy with Randy up, Rhodes. Yeah. Before yeah. He joined up with Ozzy. So, I, you know, as a young kid, I'm like fantasizing about, you know, these, these like Western guys, you know, from going to, you know, from California, traveling to, uh, you know, Japan and, you know, falling in love with these Japanese women and stuff like that. And I just thought it was like such like a swashbuckling tale, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah man yeah you know what i'm saying it's like some high adventure man you know so i i you know yeah. I mean, I, of course i'm reading like you know robert e howard and stuff at the time and you know thinking about being a pirate and you know barbarian and stuff like that so yeah all that stuff resonated <laughs> with me man i thought it was cool uh i love this record too man i the, the title track in particular uh of the, this record mean streak is a great one of my favorite songs great riff um and man, this kind of fits in with some of your other choices here because Y and T were also a band that have distinct eras. And before they shortened their name to Y and T, they were Yesterday and Today. Yes. And and they were more and they were more of a hard rock band, like a, a very like Zeppelin-esque hard rock band. Yep. And then in the early '80s, they kind of shifted to more metal sound that you hear on Mean Streak here. Um, so it's very um, it fits in with. Um, you know your score, your your choice of scorpions and and um, and priest and and uh, yeah and some other other some of the things that I pick too. I can't what uh, some other things I guess. Oh, Thin Lizzy, right? So um, yeah, man, it fits the theme. Yeah, you know, any of you guys out there, especially like some of the younger cats, uh, some of these bands might be a little bit obscure, and and, and unfortunately, I feel like Y and T might have been a band that might have been uh, lost in the mists of time. You know, and and. Uh, not not so visible these days, but I highly recommend trying to seek out these records, man, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, my final choice is uh, Crash Course in Brain Surgery by Budgie, um, who I think we can safely say is the greatest band ever to come out of Wales. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> totally uh, <bad. laughs> Um, there probably aren't a lot of bands that, I mean, I certainly don't know a lot of bands from Wales. Um, but so this song is much like, you know, the diamond head track we were talking about earlier. I, like a lot of people, I think I got turned on, I got turned into Budgie, uh, by Metallica. They covered this song on the, um, 598 garage days revisited EP. Uh, that's what I found about Budgie. Um, but when you go, then you go, I went back and checked out. A budgie and again much like diamond head now they've become one of my favorite bands um this song is remarkable because it even the original not the metallic version but the this original that i'm talking about by budgie it's it's hard to, it's kind of hard to believe that this song came out in 1974. it is so fast and so heavy uh i mean i think judas priest's first record came out in 74 if i have that right um and incidentally, I believe Budgie took Judas Priest on their first like proper UK tours. I think Priest opened for Budgie. Um, but it's crazy to think – to me, this is like the sort of um, – I mean, I don't even think – I mean, did I, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, Sabotage by uh, – Sabotage, Black Sabbath album, did, wasn't out till 76, I think. Is that right? Do I have that right or am I fucking up the timeline? No, that timeline um, sounds about right, yeah. So to me, this this has to be like in terms of speed and heaviness. Sabbath had a lot of slower, heavy songs, but in terms of speed and heaviness, I feel like this was the, this had to be the pinnacle for 1974. I can't. I mean, maybe there's someone something else out there that someone can point to. Um, it's incredible to me. 
Uh, and then later, uh, once I once I sort of became a budgie like aficionado a little bit, um, I discovered that Van Halen covered this track uh, in their club days. And oh, wow. I think there's a clip. There's like a kind of a low, you know, the quality isn't great or whatever, but there's like some live clip of them doing that on YouTube somewhere. You can hear it. Um, so these guys, Metallica uh, and even before Metallica, Van Halen, they were tuned in to this band, uh, Budgie. They were they were setting um, a, a, a standard in a lot of ways, uh, I think. Um, I don't know. I love it. Uh, the, the only band that might come close from around that time, I would I don't, I don't know. This jumped into my head, like the Blue Cheer, maybe. You know what I mean? Like uh, that Vince Bus uh, eruption of uh, Vince Bus eruptum or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, I mean that that was heavy for sure, but I feel like that stuff was slower too. Like I just really? feel like okay. the, yeah. I think so, man. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I have to A B him, but I just feel like I don't know. Maybe I would be curious to see whatever comments come up on this. I, I for me right now, uh, I, I mean, I gotta I gotta look up the Sabbath stuff right now because I feel I mean, obviously sabotage and like hole in the sky and symptom of the universe is faster and ha like has the fast heaviness, but I think that was seventy six. Let's look it up. Sabotage. Sabbath. <clears throat> July 75. Okay, so okay. Budgie was first. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Budgie's yeah. awesome, though. I mean, they're a great band, man, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fuck, man. Now I want to listen to all this shit, you know? And, uh, yeah, dude, I love dude, I love going back and, and just talking about all these bands and all these songs and everything. And, and whenever I talk to you about this stuff, I always learn a new thing that I need to check out, like that sabotage material, you know? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, yeah. And I tell you what, man, and I don't know how deep you've gone into Budgie, but that, that band is like one of the bands. They're the gift that keeps on giving their, their catalog. There's just so much uh, killer material, Budgie. I mean, they were uh, they were just so um, underappreciated, I feel like, man. And they were a great band. Well, that's it, man. I uh, thanks for doing this, Jay. Was, I had a blast. My my pleasure, man. I had a blast too. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this. And please listen to the uh, Spotify playlist. And um, if you haven't done so already, I would recommend that everyone subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. Take care. So